Hello, welcome back to a new episode of For the Love of Weather podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss all things weather and how they can impact our daily lives. We really hope that you leave this episode and every episode that you listen to loving the weather just that little bit more. Hi, I'm meteorologist Gemma. Hello, and I'm meteorologist and weather presenter Ashling, And we have a really interesting topic today. And it's actually a topic that myself and Gemma often talk about because we love travel and so this episode is about sustainable travel there's always the question mark about how to do that in the best way when you're somebody who's constantly consumed by weather and climate but we have a very special guest today with Julia Kinsman she knows everything about sustainable travel you're very welcome (laughs) to our episode you're a journalist Well, I just list off all the amazing things that you are and all the experience you have a consultant you have your own business as well boutique eco uh you're an editor of Condé Nast Traveller and you've also written some books as well is there anything that you don't do and you're also a mum too which is just absolutely fantastic but your books are the bucket list eco experiences and the green edit and we can't wait to dive in and just find out a little bit more all about you about your thoughts everything the evolution of everything that you've seen and clearly a topic that you are very passionate about which is exploring the world and in the best possible way so you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And it's so funny because typically weather played such a big part in, in our holiday decisions, didn't it, over the years? And so I've I've been about luxury travel and boutique hotels for many years. But in 2015, I decided to focus on sustainability. So for very different reasons to do with weather. Which brings me on to our very first question. So where was that first spark, that first thought where you thought to yourself, okay, I'm I'm just going to do something about travel and I'm going to make that my job. Where did that come from? Well, when I was six, I think I was six weeks old, my father was a Canadian diplomat and my parents were posted to Algeria. So I think when they threw me in the back of their car, their Fiat in Marseille and got on a boat to go to North Africa, um, that was probably the beginning of my travel, (laughs) my travel existence and I grew up actually in New York and my whole childhood was moving around. So I never, travel was just the way my life was and curiosity and experiencing new cultures. So it was never a, mo- there was never a moment where I decided to uh, work in travel. I've always wanted to be a journalist and tell stories. And I think, you know, what makes a great traveler? Curiosity. What makes a great, a great storyteller? I would also hope curiosity. And so you've made a big shift in your focus on travel and it has now become and even a, a different type of passion for you, where it's morphed into something about sustainability. What, what, tell us all about that. What does that mean? But, and actually, because I think the word sustainable gets knocked around quite a bit and it's very hard to understand, is it actually sustainable? Tell us everything about sustainability that you know, but more so that, what was that little drive that you thought, no, hang on, I need to do something different here. Thank you for asking that question, because you're absolutely right. First of all, I mean, sustainability, I just don't even like the word. It's so overused, it's become meaningless. And sustaining things as they are, that's not good enough. It's the word that sort of, it's become the catch-all term. So we have to use it. But really, I try and speak in terms of what's, what's in terms of travel or anything we do, what's having a positive impact and what's having a negative impact. That can be environmentally or socioeconomically. You know, you want to be doing more good than bad. So when was that moment where where I really thought, instead of just navigating people to beautiful hotels to spend lots of money and indulge and live a life of excess? Well, it was a hotel in Canada called Fogo Island Inn. And when that was first um, being built, I first saw it on Instagram. It was literally, you know, it it had just been designed on the easternmost uh, point of the Americas. So in Newfoundland, Canada, and I actually was, as I say, born in Canada, who'd have thought that Newfoundland would be would be where uh, captured my attention and really defined where I would go professionally. Now, this hotel was, was created by Zeta Cobb, and she's my, my mentor, my hero. And she wanted to create a hotel that, you know, it's not just sustainable. It Where she was from, this island of 2,000 people, because of the fishing sanctions back in the 90s, everyone was leaving that island and there was no economy there. So she created a design hotel that really created work. So it really reminds us of of that connection between community and, um, you know, the power of travel to do good. And it made a destination of somewhere you'd never expect and beautiful, beautiful hotel. And I thought, 
I really need to be steering, steering people to hotels that do good. Why wouldn't I? And there's a big connection actually between uh, community economics and leaving money in local pockets and the value and the power of travel. And I, th I think we know that more than ever now that there's a big shift in people all over the world because of the weather. For me, sustainability is really about, is, it's a lot to do with the distribution of money in the world, right? So it's, it's people think if you want to be a sustainable traveler, then just don't go out, don't, don't go anywhere. The best thing you can do is stay at home. And of course, I understand that because they think that in order to, to travel, we have to fly and they just look at, at, at the at sort of carbon emissions from flying. And of course, flying aviation will be the biggest contributor to our personal carbon footprints always. Absolutely. But lots of people do want to travel. And so why not get people who do have the money to go to destinations that need it and benefit from it? And actually, if you invest in place and you invest in people and businesses that really pay people properly, that's what the community economics model was based on. That is one of the best things you can do for the world. And as we know, you know, the environment and, and people and human beings and how they use it is interlinked. I think people have become, you know, when they talk about climate, they've really brought it down to the fact that it's just got to be about carbon. And actually they don't look at it holistically. And if you look at all the destinations, so many destinations in the world, rural or, or islands in this case, if everybody leaves and moves to the cities, um, that puts a great strain on, on urban environments, which of course only take up a very small percentage of the world in terms of land. Look, I don't need to give you a geography lesson, but what people don't realize is cities are also responsible for around 75% of all emissions or the built environment. So what we want to do for the sake of, yes, cultural value, we want to keep people in rural areas and, and try and support them in being able to stay where they are and live in harmony with those natural environments. So. Um, I've already yeah. learned so much because when I, I was just like my opening question there and I talked talk about saying to you about sustainability, um, it's just bandied around so much. I don't even know what it means anymore. Like sometimes I, if I buy something and it says it's a sustainable product, I'm like, well, I don't even know. I don't even know what that means. But actually, you've already opened my eyes to it's not just about carbon, is it? It's about um, keeping places healthy, investing in places and allowing them to exist as they should exist. For me, one of the the sort of the biggest influences, let, let's say on weather and let's say on climate, is the economy, right? It's economics and how literally who's holding the money, how they spend it and what we spend our money on. And if you look at something like Fogo Island, where actually Zita Cobb, she, she went to business school. She retired the highest paid woman in Canada in her 50s. She had a lot of money. And she thought, what can I do that really, something that really benefits, not just where I'm from, but is helpful. And she created this sort of, this model for, and you say the sustainable hotel, what does that mean? Let's use the word regenerative. It's a better word. In terms of travel, you'll see, again, you'll see that really misused and overused lots. But if, if we look at agriculture, a form of agriculture that is actually regenerating the soil is actually being helpful. I just always use the word helpful, but just not as catchy as it, helpful travel. Um, you know, and so any hotel that is interconnected with its community and, and its land, and it's really regenerating it from a nature point of view and from a people point of view, that is what we need. That's helpful. That's helpful. And if it also reminds us that a business, the biggest part of a business expense should be on the people it employs. And whatever the, whether we're talking about the food industry or agriculture, or we're talking about fashion, or we're talking about hospitality. If a business is investing in those people, it's one of the greatest things it can do for, for that community. And in turn, in terms of uplift. I mean, you touched off so many things there because it makes you think, it's not right. that you don't want development and it sort of feels like that can be counterintuitive to the idea of climate and, and uh, but, but actually, the socioeconomic of it, which you mentioned, is so important to give people something to allow people to stay where, where they want to stay and invest. I completely understand well, that's, that's, And that's the, my, you know, if we use Africa as the greatest example, and when yeah. I say Africa, I do mean the continent. So if we look at a continent of 54 countries, obviously, that's a quarter of all the world's countries, collectively is only responsible for 4% of the world's emissions. That's pretty mind-blowing, right? The United Nations says that um, when it comes to the climate emergency, its vulnerability to, to extreme weather is down to restricted socioeconomic growth. 
So imagine if we did choose to take international holidays, fewer, fewer, we should definitely fly less. We chose to leave money with businesses, for example, in an African country that is nature positive, that is looking after conservation and biodiversity, that is making sure that all of the species and all, whether it's plants, animals are all working as nature intended. That's helpful. And that's why I just, I, I try and encourage people to think about how is their trip flying somewhere helpful? Maldives, Maldives, totally on the front line, ocean waters, heating up, as we know, the, the coral is bleaching. Um, that, as we know, is, is coral, of course, committing suicide because it can't sustain the, the algae that lives on it. That's why it becomes white. That's it, dead. Um, the Maldives, sadly, you know, their biggest export, I think after fish, is aviation fuel, kerosene, because they're having to refill all those planes. So it's kind of perverse if you choose a destination that is suffering the worst consequences, you know, rising sea levels of global warming, that we would then choose to go there. It's got the highest carbon footprint per, per holiday maker because they import everything. So if you go back to the Fogo Island model or you go back to any business that doesn't import, it really celebrates local. So whether it's the food they serve in their restaurant, whether it's their craftsmanship and the local people they use in that business, they're really, really, uh, uh, they're really keeping their carbon footprint down. But as I say, the climate emergency isn't just down to, to carbon emissions, it's much more interconnected. Yeah. I suppose you, then if you then go to those places where they've kept everything local, then you have a really authentic experience when you're going there and you get to learn from the people and actually see their way of life and you get so much more from that experience. So why would you not want to go on holidays that give you those experiences? Exactly, that's the point of travel and it's much richer. And I, I because I, I'm in France right now experiencing the serious heat wave I came here by by train and well I will say I did come down by train um to the south of France and I I, I went to the the local little supermarket to buy something earlier to eat before I was talking to you so I was thinking what am I doing how am I walking my talk well I chose fruit and vegetables and things that were actually from this part of France you can see that so it's not been imported it's leaving money in the local economy and if we just have that mindset rather than always wanting even when I chose my orange juice I didn't choose the Tropicana I chose the French brand um, if we if we travel we should really celebrate every aspect of travel and go local in every way because I think it's become very much the luxury travel industry certainly is about you know we say amenities and all all the extras you have in your room, all that stuff you're consuming, you don't really need it. And chances are it's it's ordered by head office and then distributed globally to all the outposts of that chain hotel. So it's really, really getting a taste in every way of the local destination. I feel like I'm talking to like someone who has an incredible grasp of almost like, so economics, government level policy, but yet what people want to go and do and enjoy. And if you ask most people, they do want an authentic experience. They do want something different. And I, I've just never quite heard a phrase like that. It's quite fascinating. Isn't that interesting? Because I would assume, because we both come at climate, but we both think about climate, it consumes our lives. But it's it's helpful for me to be reminded <laughs> to share what, you know, I, I just take this for granted that people think like this. Uh, and they and they don't. And, and the problem with well, challenge with holidays is when people go on holiday, they literally go on holiday and sometimes take a holiday from their own values that they would have at home. So they might be someone who's really good at recycling, really conscious about how much water they use or energy because it's their bill as well. Uh, but as soon as they go on holiday, they just surrender all of that. And they they yeah, I think statistics show that people can use up to 10 times more water whilst on holiday, even in a water scarce destination. So it's just a reminder to, to hold those values and just constantly think, how am I helping? But, but it's hard because you want to have fun on holiday as well. I like that idea that, that, that I'm going to keep that in the back of my head when I think about the word sustainability now. How, how am I helping? Because I, the way I look at the world or have been taught to look at the world has initially was just like the love of weather. But, uh, uh, you know, when we see the climate changing in my brain, it's always like, uh, keep carbon where it should be stored so if it's peat, peat leave it in there it was you know created by the earth and stored by the earth leave it there 
but yeah, it's like it completely opened up my eyes to another way of doing things. And actually just really interesting that we do not bring all of our values with us when we go on holidays. And we'd be yeah. so annoyed at ourselves if we did it over here. Yeah. And, and, you know, I once spoke to someone from Hawaii, a young guy, and he said it kind of broke his heart to see people coming to his home and just using plastic and throwing things away. And he, he said sort of, you know, would you do that in your home? Would you be so careless with this trash? And people would like, no. So when you visit another destination, remember, that's also someone's home, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, yeah, there's, there, there's lots, there's, there's so much to think about, but I do want people to, to really enjoy the holidays. The other thing we used to do is, is obviously go on holiday to enjoy good weather. So we would go on a summer holiday so that we might go on a beach and, and do all those things. But because weather is um, much more unpredictable now, I would also say exploring off-season travel and not going in those peak obvious times. I mean, you know, poor, look at the look at the winter season, the ski places, they're losing. That's totally unpredictable too. So try and, again, this is helpful, try and go to places outside peak season because you are then not obviously contributing to the negative environmental impact of lots of people visiting at the same time. And you are also hopefully going to a destination when they need your money a bit more, your travel spend. So again, it's just, just how am I helping by going here at this time? She says. Really, uh, I'm re <laughs> really curious to know, um, you know, how people come across you. So as in where, when, when did the desire for the idea of sustainable travel start uh, that, you know, being picked up by Google, let's say, you know, did, where did, has the, how much interest has risen since you've started? I mean, obviously you've started the business because the interest was there, but how much has it changed yeah. since you started? Actually, no, Boutico, my consultancy actually is, it exists because I was noticing a lot of really great hotels weren't articulating what they do well enough. And also I felt that there's so much greenwash. So I wanted to help people express what they're doing in a really meaningful way. In terms of eco-travel, look, it's it's always been around. We just didn't call it that necessarily. So hiking, uh, staying somewhere where, you know, you eat locally and everything's homemade and there's no plastic. I mean, that that was always ecotourism. People who've worked in this responsible travel have been doing it for more than 30 years. Justin Francis worked with Anita Roddick at the at the body shop. So his his values has always been about environmentalism. So it's nothing new, ecotourism. I guess what I noticed more was was more the sustainable luxury side of things. So people who really wanted somewhere stylish or design led also wanted a business to align with their social values. And, and that's where we're seeing a big shift. The problem is at the moment, lots of hotels have become good at talking about what they do and shouting about their turtle tagging or whatever, when there are great hulking concrete, you know, building somewhere that really could do with that, without um, that huge business, maybe taking water from the municipal system or whatever, again, not helpful. Um, but they've been very good at sort of saying, oh, yes, but we have bamboo toothbrushes or we have a kitchen garden. So it's just your instincts. Once you get into this and you start thinking about this, it's it becomes kind of intuitive. I have written lots of articles. So I, I, I have contributed as there's, there's a hope, a really helpful article for, for Connie Nas Traveller. I'm the sustainability editor there called the A to Z guide to traveling sustainably. You can look that up, has lots of tips and also the evening standard um I, I i shared lots of the experts tips 15 ways to be a climate friendly traveler and you know just as you said even people in the industry are like oh i haven't thought of that before i haven't thought that actually supporting female-owned businesses is a really big part of sustainability because as we know women are, are you know women are the ones hardest hit by the climate emergency actually um and so any way that you can empower those particularly in vulnerable uh destinations which which is lots of parts of the world um it, it really makes a big difference so once you start reading it you th you think and you think oh it becomes kind of logical i read the aid said guide and it's there were so many things in it when i was like oh my god i didn't know that I didn't never thought of that before. And there's so many things in there that really makes you think about travel in a completely different way. And I was thinking, I need to take that into account when I'm thinking about where I'm going. I need to think about that as well. And I'll tell you one that lots of people don't think of, and it won't make a huge difference. But again, it's just prompting people to think. 
all those videos you take again and again of the same thing. I did it today on the train. Delete the ones you're not going to use. Because I don't know about you, but I soon enough get an alert saying, oh, yeah, you're going to be charged more for your iCloud data storage because of all that junk. Kill all those that data that we don't need. When you're, when you're there taking those videos, because it has to be stored somewhere, and as we know, those servers somewhere in a desert uh, require lots of energy and water to cool them down. Again, it's those little things which aren't that much just us as an individual, but collectively, if we all stopped saving so much data from silly holiday pictures, it would make Do you know, you mentioned something there about greenwashing, and I um, think that this, you know, probably quite a sad thing that we're not really tapping into our reports, like reporting on. Everyone has a green policy and everyone tries, says that they're carbon neutral, but the reality is if you're building all of these data centers, I'm not entirely sure how you completely can offset all, all of that. So, so I'm thinking about that in terms of like uh, in data centers. Is the equivalent well, to that in hoteling, like when you said greenwashing, what 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 should you be watching out for? So in terms of greenwashing, obviously, as we know, it's overstating the good that you do. So it's it's really um, exaggerating sometimes the positive impact of your business. Now, carbon neutral as a term, personally, I'm glad it's falling out of favor because as we know, it's often about buying offsets in a different destination. What we need is businesses to reduce their own emissions, their own footprint, their own energy, their own water use, all of that. And that means that they need to be measuring uh, measuring it all. So if they talk about how they're measuring year on year and reducing their own energy use, or they're talking about a transition to green energy, and this is where I get kind of nerdy, but actually this will really shift your thinking about where you go on holiday. So if I said to you, and uh, you know, I really would love it if you could go somewhere sustainable, uh, for a big special holiday next, next year. And I would love that destination to help you have a lower carbon footprint. What would I say? I would say, go to a country that has a much higher reliance on green energy. Look at Costa Rica. It runs on sometimes 100% hydroelectricity. Norway, I mean, even though Norway is technically a petrostate. Um, but if you look at the countries that are investing in green energy, your own personal carbon footprint in that place is going to be better. Lots of, I'm afraid, the Caribbean islands, you know, they run on diesel generators. So they can talk about their bamboo toothbrushes, like I say, as much as they like. But still, if they have a dirty grid, you know, your footprint as a traveler is not as good. So greenwashing would be making a big deal out of the little things such as, well, there's so many these days, honestly. Um, what do you make about hotels that say, uh, please reuse your towel, it helps bring down, or, yeah. like as if, as if, as if they're, they're, this is, I don't know, what do you make, what do you make of those statements? It, it's something I often see and I think, I wonder how much difference that actually makes. Well, so greenwashing as a term actually came about because of those little signs you've seen. So Jay Westerfeld was an environmentalist who back in the 80s, he was on holiday in New Zealand and he coined the term greenwashing based on a hotel saying, save the planet, reuse your towel, rather than saying, reuse your towel, save us some electricity and save our bills. So that is where the term came from. Um, in terms of uh, reusing our towels and reusing our sheets, it actually does make a big difference. So it, it can be about 20% of a hotel's uh, overall water use can be down to their laundry. About 15% of their energy use can be down to their laundry also. So if you are helping them save on that, it's a good thing. Lots of hotels will reward you for doing that. Lots of hotels will put the signs out and you diligently hang up your towel, but they still shove in a new towel. That's really frustrating. So have a word. The best thing we can do as travelers, I'm staying, I'm just, I, I must admit, I'm staying in a little low key Airbnb. And I've had a few thoughts since I've been here, um, you know, and I will feed that back. Always, always feedback where you think they could have uh, saved electricity and you would have been happy about it or been more environmentally friendly. I'm so curious, what are your thoughts right now about what you would feed back to them? Oh, actually, um, it, it, I can understand why they did it. But when I walked in, they put all the lights on and they're not LED lights. They're just regular bulbs. So when I walked in, it looks nice, but I arrived at three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, they don't need to do that. 
it, you know, it's it's just obviously that it gives atmosphere and it looks nice. Um, it's not got a centralized electricity system, so it's very easy to go out and leave lots of light bulbs on. I mean, these are such small things, but I think, you know, I mean, also I was thinking how they had San Pellegrino fizzy water in the, in the fridge. And of course that's Italian and I'm in France. So again, I would have I would have preferred it to have had a local sparkling mineral water. So I'll feed that back to them. The lights is a really good point because I had that in a hotel I went to. And the first thing I did when I went in was just turn off all of the lights. I was like, it's three, it was three o'clock in the afternoon for me as well. And I was like, you don't need all these lights on. I'm just going to go in and turn them all off. And they've all been, they've probably been on for about three hours now. That's absolutely ridiculous. They didn't need to be on. Totally. And and they, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a battle because I mean, they're trying to do it so it looks nice for us, but often you'll have housekeeping go in and turn down. And again, they turn everything on after you've diligently turned it all off. So I think as more and more people express the fact that they care about the environment and they'd rather they operated a leaner business, um, it will suit them as well. Uh, But we have to speak up. We have to talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, I think you're really on something there when you say so. I just you mentioned there like San Pellegrino is an Italian water and like I I do try and buy um you know fruits or cucumbers or whatever is in season for as long as I can from the UK even if it's a little bit longer because that's I know it, it's had less time traveled and less cold storage and all that sort of stuff actually I think I just I'm wondering is there just some link there missing in the whole picture for me because I'm someone who I would have thought I was actually quite climate literate and I'm perhaps not certainly not when it comes to to travel so is there a little link about or like a mantra that you could say how do you behave at home and behave like that on holiday and I I think that that might be missing for in my head that link perhaps because I don't know how as well sometimes you go away you don't know the color of bins or there's no separate bins provided or whatever but aside from that there is actually probably a lot you could do with your shopping because you would tend to look out for a brand and I think when you okay maybe when you've got little people in your life you might go for a brand that you know because you know they'll eat it but actually that's why brands exist that's why brands exist and why yeah. they spend loads of money on advertising because it's comfortable and familiar and it's completely understandable um so you know as I say when I went to the supermarkets uh, looking at all the different local teas, the difference in price as well. There was a local brand I didn't know, but let's assume mint tea is still going to be good. Um, the other thing is, is of course, it's just the plastic bottles. The San Pellegrino's in a plastic bottle. And even if they did have a performative bag there that said it was recycling, chances are it doesn't really get recycled. In lots of destinations, there is no recycling facilities. So the more we can minimize things, it just blows my mind that Greece and and Italy and Spain and all these places are experiencing extreme, extreme heat, wildfires, all of this. And yet they're all glugging water out of plastic bottles, which are made from petrochemicals. There's a total disconnect uh, between the fact that that is part of the problem when it comes to global warming, which is exacerbating the weather. So it's just a disconnect. And the more we all talk about it, I mean, honestly, the amount of cafes around the world I've been looked at that I'm crazy for saying, I can't believe you gave me a plastic straw. And why do we even have plastic straws? They were invented for women to spare their lipstick back in the 20s. You know, I mean, I do wear lipstick, but I still am all right drinking out of the cup without a straw. And as we know, the bioplastics and all that, we, you know this, right? It's a total nonsense. It just contaminates, uh, it, it contaminates recycling anyway. It does more yeah. harm. Do you know, it's the same with biodegradable things. There's quite a few of those on the market, but unless they're actually biodegraded in the correct way, they will still just end up in landfill doing the same things, which is not biodegrading correctly. Exactly. And not producing a product that can be, that, that can be used. That most people don't actually have a compost, so of course, of course, yeah. compostables is is meaningless in these situations. We just have to reduce, reduce, reduce. So I think hotels that really talk about that. So we, as you said, or you noticed, lots of travel businesses are coming up with these big impact reports. I personally just helped Mandarin Oriental write theirs, and actually looking at theirs, the amount that they've done um, around well, they've gone 99% plastic free. That's a really big thing. So they've obviously, they've they've decided one massive initiative and worked hard at doing that. Um, but, you know, 
all of all of these big groups that they're, they're trying to do better but they have to measure everything there's something you, do you know the science-based target initiative that's the sbti that's quite a good one so if you see that talked about intrepid travel was the first big travel business to uh actually you know align with it with the science-based target initiative that, that's a good one there are certain accreditations out there which are pre- pretty meaningful talking about accreditations that was one thing from the ace said guide that you that I hadn't really thought about when I read that guide and it said about accreditations and it listed all the accreditations and I was like oh there's there's loads more than I thought there were and so can you just talk us through maybe one or two of them that would be a good thing to look out to yeah it's so funny because you say it listed all actually very reluctantly well it lists about five just in the travel sector there are 800 and I really don't even love listing the ones that are in that article because well, they're pretty good. They're very good. Earthcheck is very good. I really, I really rate them actually. But a lot of accreditations and certifications, if you think about who's paying for that process, is it the PR and marketing department? Or are they actually paying for someone to a third party independent verifier to come to their business, uh, assess everything they're doing, look at all their data? Probably not. A lot of it's self-assessment. So I'm very wary of really championing too many accreditations. Um, there are a few that are very reliable. Um, I, I also, I, I work with a business called Weaver. They're not an accreditation, but what they are is, is I mean, I, I totally, they, they sponsor my podcast, Funny Old World. And what they do is help businesses measure all of their data. And so that's what we need really, is people actually you know, saying this is how much energy I use. This is, it's not so sexy. It's not so fun, but it's, it's the honest figures. Uh, and, and yeah, that's what we need. I love that there's people in the world that have to come up with this and have a desire to do it and make a business about it. It's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And there's so many more and more and lots of tourist boards have them. I mean, I went to poor old Costa Rica. I mean, I always, I always celebrate them as, as one of the most sustainable destinations in the world. Um, they really are amazing when it comes to a huge percentage of their land is, is protected and they have incredible biodiversity. But when the tourist board said, oh, we have this new little eco badge. And I said, oh, great. What are your criteria? And they literally just looked at me blankly. I said, well, what do you base it on? How do I know that hotel's better? Is it because it's energy efficient? Or is it because and again, this is where us as consumers or travelers need to ask more difficult questions and really challenge everyone. And it's fun. We don't have to be difficult about it. But it's again, it comes back to that curiosity. Um, you know, I mean, B Corp, that's that's kind of a self-assessment. I always like B Corp as, as a certification. Um, but again, ask people about their journey. How did you get that? What, what do you do? Do you pay everyone in your business properly? Do, do you have gender equality is a huge big part of this conversation so these are all these aren't the tips you were probably expecting me to say you're probably saying thinking I'd say get your Patagonia backpack <laughs> but Go. to be honest you're, you're absolutely right like I really feel like my, I had no idea that you were going to learn all of this like it's a completely different way of looking at things again isn't it and it's a completely different well, to me, obviously not to you, um, but a, a whole other way that I'm probably going to see stuff now going forward. I'm really glad I've, I've learned all of this. You know, yeah. it's fascinating. Um, it completely I, reframes your, the way that you think yeah. about travel. Like I'd never thought about a lot just, of what you've just said. I was, and as you're saying, the I'm word thinking, sustainability is, yeah. Exactly. And all, as you were going through everything, I was thinking, of that that's really important the gender the gender equality all of that stuff is so important why am I not taking that into account as well that should be something that I factor in when I'm thinking about going on a holiday you know and it's something I'm so passionate about in my own work bringing through females in science and you know go out of my way to help anyone that ever asks me particularly if, if they're female it's so important to me to do that and I've never quite you know, then taking that thought that next step further and thought, well, where, where maybe I could do that as well for where I'm going, you know, just absolutely, you know, absolutely. One of the best things you can do, um, is, is really prioritize, uh, empowerment of women through travel. So there are lots, you know, really you'll see a lots and lots of women work in travel, but still the people at the top who own the businesses tend to be, tend to be men. Mm -hmm. And, 
Uh, so if you choose an intrepid I mentioned, they, they're wonderful for female empowerment through their business. They use lots of local guides. So I've met Berber women in Morocco who've led the tours, who are the first, let's say, I don't mean to say girl pejorative, but you know, first young woman from their village to have a proper job and uh, be independent. It's really important. And, you know, it's, it's a universal theme throughout throughout the world. So if you've got remote rural destinations, as we know, women and children are most vulnerable to extreme weather. But if we help businesses that actually support the education and the employment of women, it just means that, you know, young girls get married married later. They also have fewer children, healthier children. They're more self-sufficient. They contribute, contribute better to the economy. All of this interconnectedness, which is obviously what you talk about a lot in the podcast series, it's not just about environmental impact. I mean, it is environmental impact, but it's looking at through through the sort of human human context. I'm not going to say human lens. I find that such an overused word as well. Let's look at it through this lens. Sorry. <laughs> lens. I've, I have a feeling I could share a bottle of wine with you. <laughs> um, I have got a, um, a question for you, something that's popped up um, just very recently so at the moment at the time of recording this there is um i want to say a surprising heat wave in europe but sadly it's not surprising anymore so they've they have they been breaking records and that heat is traveling across, currently across eastern europe also in america there's three massive heat domes around the world at the moment but something that i've seen pop out of america is uh, which has left literally left my jaw open is extreme tourism people actually traveling to experience these extreme conditions and then getting back into their car and you know driving away again and people are going to reconnect and have a look at wildfires and things like that do you mean so definitely um, a thermometer that says so that's one of the things i was going to say as well that they've i saw the term climate tourism the other day that came up and it's not a term that I'd heard before, but people are going to the thermometer that says 56 degrees and having a photo next to it. And you see that and you just think, I was absolutely shocked as well when I saw that as well. My jaw is literally hanging, like you said. That's like something out of a cli-fi, as we call it now, not just sci-fi, but cli- climate fiction. Oh my goodness, yeah. oh, that's perverse. Okay, well, that's a whole other conversation around the polit- politicizing of weather. And that's to do with the polarization of, of people through the media also, the, the wider media, I am the media also, I hope that I'm one of the good guys. That's so fascinating that you're saying that. That's, that makes me sad. That's, a, that's an indictment on, on social behavior. I don't think that's normal. <laughs> yeah, I know it's really, and people were standing there like, you know, like there's just something so, so wrong about, so wrong. I just, I still can't get, quite get my head around it. But, on a more positive note, are you optimistic about the future of travel? So we all have to try and be optimistic. I mean, I think any of us who work in climate and weather, it's really hard because we know what's coming. Well, it's here now for a lot of people. You know, 8 billion people in the world, 4 billion of those are already on the front line of the climate emergency. And uh, going back to, you sort of talked about the climate tourism and, and the type of person, the profile of person, let's say. Um, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but what I do know, because I do a lot of I give a lot of keynotes at conferences. So I have a a, a big variety of different types of audiences. But often, much to my sadness, people in the audience, they come up to me afterwards, they're like, hey, yeah, that was really interesting. I really like it. But I I don't buy all that sustainability stuff. I'm like, what do you mean? I said, for example, last summer, I said, you know, Pakistan, one of the most populous countries in the world, uh, a a third of its population is currently underwater. What do you mean? Uh, And they're like, yeah, I don't relate to them. So what I would say is travel shakes us out of our myopia. We don't need to go to really different places uh, and we don't necessarily have to go to Pakistan to be able to relate to those people. But the the more we travel and the more we spend time, I spent time mentoring a a refugee from Ethiopia actually the other day. She told me, I didn't know this, that part of Ethiopia is the hottest point in the planet actually, because it's nearest, I know that Death Valley, we've had all of this, but but we were looking it up. And, you know, I don't need to go to Ethiopia to know that she is exactly like me, with the same needs as me, as a human being, as a mum, both people who now live in London. Um, 
but I do think some people do need to be reminded that all people, all of us, um, not that we're different. That's not why we travel. To be reminded we're actually exactly the same. Sorry, I feel like crying sometimes when I talk about this because that's why we need to travel. And I, I think people can't relate to those. They, they're bombarded with all this news all the time and, and we become numb to it, but we forget that those are those those human stories, those individuals, the Turkey earthquake, all of these things are people just like us. And nobody deserves to suffer just because of where they were born or the geography. And it is our actions. And, I, you know, as soon as you start using terms like the global north, people get their hackles up. They think, oh, here she goes, activist, you know. But when we understand the global north and the global south and what that distinction is, it means the people in the, you know, in the global north, those of us typically, you know, in the very high carbon lifestyle countries are making it much, much worse for those who don't have money or high carbon lifestyles. And it's simply, it's 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 just not fair. And, and if you're someone who looks back on history and thinks, oh, wow, I wouldn't have tolerated slavery. Well, if you're someone who doesn't think about those people, you're tolerating slavery. It's no different. It is no different. And that's what breaks my heart. And I just hope that when people travel, they, they realize you know, we have a responsibility, all of us, to care about all 8 billion people in the world. Sorry, that's <laughs> a, a massive uh, thing to say, but that's why we have to travel or why I believe travel makes us care about other people and other communities in different parts of the world. Unfortunately for a lot of people seeing us, seeing us believing. Yeah, and, and you know, when we had the tsunami happen, uh, there was a, a big rush of support towards Thailand in particular from the UK because a lot of people could relate to it because they'd been on holiday there or maybe they'd been to Sri Lanka. But that's what travel does, you know, makes the other other people relatable. And, um, you know, I think, as we know, a lot of the, the most bigoted or, or whatever your politics, but somebody who doesn't care about certain aspects of society, they would if they had friends who were from you know those minorities or those marginalized communities and so the more we all mix it up and speak to different and again that goes back to having more local experiences in hotels you don't want to just go and sit next to someone oh you're from Clapham too hi I thought I recognized you or whatever when you're in your luxury hotel in a in a different continent we need to mix it up and hear and and be at eye level with local communities not just the privileged people I'm I'm just the guest I'm like how how do I know so so much about climate but yet again I've come across another topic I actually know nothing about so um, well, um yeah it's crazy yeah and then just think about Instagram think about what people share on social media when they go mm -hmm. on holiday you know um it's become very performative and it's become very much about a sort of a scene it's not been about the human connections people go to places just to take pictures I mean it's it's it beggars belief really you want to go to a local dive bar, chat to someone else, hear about their life. That that's why that's the, that's the most rewarding feeling in the world. Those are the memories you go home with. You know, if you go and eat in someone's one of my strongest memories ever was in Sri Lanka. My, the guy who who took me on the boat across the lake uh, to get to this hotel. He he took me to meet his mum. She was a tea picker, and I remember going up way up into the, it was quite a sort of high up uh, tea tea plantation and. There she was working very elderly, just touching her hand, just the smile, just that connection, just that moment was one of the most wonderful experiences I've had. Not a Michelin starred meal or a, I don't know, not even a sundowner by an infinity pool. It's human connection. I was very lucky when I was younger. I you know, did a, a huge amount of traveling myself. But at the, the one thing that did actually, I did struggle with, but bearing in mind, this was definitely a different time frame. was I could never quite tell in the local economy where exactly the money was going so in real impoverished places there may have been people working there but I'm not exactly sure how well they would have been looked after you should ask them that's what I always say to people I, yeah I should have on cruises yeah. it's a very good metric you know um someone pointed out to me the other day or well, we said we say you have five star five star hotels and two star destinations it happens all the time because it's cheap labor yeah. so you should ask them what percentage of their bill goes towards their staff so in london or paris 
it's going to be a big chunk, right? And, and it's much more regulated. Um, but in in destinations where people are desperate for jobs and they don't they can have zero contract hours they're not looked after that's what came through on the mandarin oriental report actually i noticed they had a it, most of their employees are on full-time contracts it's that kind of stuff that's interesting um but even if you don't get the answer you've asked the question and you've made people think about it and set to management set ask the people there how they're treated lots of places they'll say i've worked here all my life you know i've uh, and they're really proud and i support my family typically in 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 these very sort of uh, dependent tourism de dependent communities, one person could could literally finance the life for eight, 10 family members. Um, so I'm not shaming anyone, but just, again, we all just have to think about the economic nutrition. That's what folk going back to Zeta Cobb and Fogo Island in, she created something called the economic nutrition mark, just like you have the calorie label on the back of a, of a cereal box or anything look at where their money goes and think about who you're giving your money and, and how it's benefiting the local community. You've offered so many, yeah, yeah. so many great tips. So I just wanted to round off the episode just by asking if there was, I know there's so many, but if there was like five things that you thought people should think about before they book travel, because um, one of the things I saw was about flying direct and I'd never thought of that. And once I've read it, I was like, well, that makes complete sense because you're only taken off and landing once that, that makes sense to, to do that to fly direct but I'd never thought of that before so what would be five things that people should maybe just think about before they book their not next holiday well thank you so much um you've already come in with the, the top one definitely so either if you do have to fly fly direct just fly less take you don't just pop over here and there on city breaks flying you don't need to do that uh try and you could even do a hybrid trip so try and get the train one one way um Unfortunately, I did read in, in The Guardian very recently an article that said it costs 30 times more to take the train across to Europe than it does to fly at times, I'm afraid. Uh, I know that because I don't fly in Europe. Um, but, you know, it's a great it's a great experience also taking the train, anything flight free. It really reminds us, again, those those moments of just the smallest, most banal moments of travel that actually are quite interesting observing people on on the train what they're eating how they talk to each other those sorts of things so number one fly less absolutely number two i would say um well i'd always say look at look at who you're giving your money to look at your business really think do they deserve it does this company deserve my money so companies such as g adventures they have something called a ripple score on their holidays that shows how much is staying in lo local des destinations. Um, if you can support local businesses, that's always a great thing to do. Local BMVs, really reliant. Just think how many had to shut down in the pandemic. Um, if they are a big chain hotel, really make sure do your due diligence if you can and give it to the good guys. You know, lots of hotels, it's very arcane, but they're owned by one wealthy person, let's say from the Middle East. I'm just saying as an example, but management, the management is a company that's headquarters offshore somewhere in North America, let's say. So all that leakage, all that money coming out of that destination is a, is a great shame. Um, so look at who you're giving your money to. Number three. Simply, I mean, in life, we know this, just consume less. Just consume less. Don't go to the hotel with a massive buffet. You know, go somewhere where you can just order the two eggs that you're actually going to eat. And, and I actually prefer that. I feel overwhelmed at the, at the buffet. Just, um, you know, it's all very nice when they leave us a couple of chocolates and things. But don't always, just because stuff's free, don't feel you have to use those disposable slippers wrapped in plastic. You know, just, just, it's. It feels like luxury. It's so not luxury from a from a environmental point of view. Consume less. Uh, buy less stuff to take away with you. Literally pack a smaller suitcase. Um, if we all took a smaller suitcase on planes in particular, think how much aviation fuel um, they'd reduce. Lots of them stopped uh, uh, putting uh, magazines on the planes during the pandemic. And apparently the amount of aviation fuel as a result of the weight of all those magazines was was hugely slashed so just keep thinking about collectively we, we can make a difference um something else another a great tip a really great tip 
when you're traveling is always take public transport if you can. You end up having a much better experience. I took my daughter on the Metro in Paris this week. She loved it. She just really enjoyed it, seeing the other people, seeing what they're advertising. It's such a cultural insight. Instead of jumping in that in that Uber uh, or in that taxi, try not to use you know diesel powered, petrol powered vehicles. Walk around loads, bike loads. Lots of cities are getting much better at offering bike share programs. Um, should I think of another one? What's another one? Um, ask more questions, I think. Always ask more questions, absolutely. And just let your thoughts be known. You don't have to be grumpy about it and you don't ever have to. Just, just try and say it in a nice way. If all of us mention it all the time, uh, the hoteliers and our hosts, they'll pay attention. A lot of hotels I work with say, oh no, you know, people want plastic bottled water. Well, if we all stop wanting it, then they won't serve it. Uh, and really you can drink tap water in so many places all over the world. I'd really encourage you to really, really, really avoid using plastic bottled water if you can. Um, I great feel tips. like we've, we've totally chopped up way more time than I thought we would because I've just, I can't believe how much there is to this topic. But we're going to move on to just something a little bit lighter. Um, and just so we get to know another little side of you, we've clearly heard some of your incredible insight into how you view the world and how you want people to see the world and your message you know your mantra to the world um yeah let's get to know you just a little bit more on a slightly more personal note so Gemma take it away on the get to know me end. there's just some random questions a few of them have a little link to the weather and most of them they're just really random so the first one is what's your favorite season that's such a great question. Well, I mean, I who doesn't love spring, any part of the world, when everything's coming to life and it's green and, you know, all the little baby animals are appearing and it reminds you just the magnificence of nature. Who doesn't love spring, especially in the UK? It reminds us we don't need to travel abroad. Um, but also, I love... I love autumn when the changing colors of the leaves, which reminds us again, both of those seasons are not peak seasons typically, but really, really enjoyable and much more affordable and much more eco a time to travel. They're my favorite seasons to travel in, actually. I always tend to travel in the spring or the, or the autumn. They're great seasons. Think of that low autumn light and just casting those shadows and that it sort of, it's an even longer golden hour, it feels like. Beautiful. Oh, it's such a good way to think about it. Yes, yes. Spring is still the best season, by the way. I, I think autumn, but you know. Gemma, <laughs> you're We've covered right both of one. them in the answers. We're, answer we're, never, gonna, we're <laughs> never going to reach this grand. <laughs> you're just always going to have to holiday. If you go on holiday at the same time, it's going to have to be in opposite hemispheres. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you had to choose, would you prefer to go to the beach or the mountains? No one has ever asked me that question. And it's a brilliant question because I'm going to tell you mountains. I absolutely love the mountains. I would encourage everyone to sack off the Algarve in Portugal, get to the little mountain villages. Nobody ever appreciates that in Portugal. I love Slovenia, that green, all those beautiful rolling hills. I love, I love the mountains. Cat skills over the Hamptons in New York anytime. Amazing. Amazing. I'm all for the mountains. I absolutely love them. Um, Jeremy Dodgers or Jaffa Cakes? Well, I'm afraid I'd have to look at the packet and see if it's got palm oil in it. And I'd say to you, probably most supermarket, both of those have palm oil. And well, Gemma, I'm, we've been shamed. We need to. We need to really ingredients. I feel. I love. Look, I. Who doesn't love peeling? I'm one of those people who peeled the the, the Jaffa cake absolutely, uh, and picked apart the both of them. But I would feel guilty these days. Palm oil. Do you know what? I've never like I don't I haven't eaten a Jaffa cake or a Jeremy's Odger in in years. Like and I I randomly just picked those two biscuits. But it's really interesting now you've said that that I've that be we need to rethink. We need to yeah. rethink that question. Well, I mean, I'm picturing a happy shopper, Jeremy Dodgers, I'm picturing your McVitties. I without a doubt, don't you think? I think just check if it's got palm oil. Dear McVitties. Mm. <laughs> Minus the palm oil, I love them all equally. I'm a biscuit aholic, I will say, actually. Mm. Do love a good biscuit. I do check for my peanut butters, though. I try to eat different nut butters and make sure there's no palm oil in them. So, If you were a fruit or vegetable, what would you be? 
Again, this is such a great question. I've never thought about it. Well, um, I think my daughter would probably say, after the last few days of traveling by train, uh, a lemon. Glaring <laughs> 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 at her and things like that because it's been so stressful at times. Um, but I would like to think, if I were a fruit, which would I be? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes a lemon would be a good good one because sometimes it's a bit sour and serious. And sometimes it can be quite sort of sweet and fruity. Just depends. <laughs> Interestingly, as well, though, it's also a preservative, so it's long-lasting. Oh, yeah. So it's almost the perfect fruit for you. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that's true, and it's great. It's so uh, you can use it instead of cleaning products, instead of chemicals. You could be really exactly. eco. Exactly, and it's super in a gin and tonic. Love it. And no one's ever said lemon before either. So your first lemon. <laughs> <laughs> your first lemon I like to think I'm the Amalfi lemon one of those big mothers <laughs> okay I've got two more questions so if you can invite one person to dinner it can be anybody at all from any historical time frame or even a fictional character who would it be oh my goodness you know I'm gonna have to say Marilyn Monroe I was oh. watching yeah I was always obsessed with her you know this poor soul so interesting. I was watching her yesterday because she did this film, Heat Wave. Sorry, she did this song, Heat Wave, in, in the movie. And in the song, I know I know the words to all her songs. And in the in the song, Heat Wave, she goes, you know, oh, you know, the, the temperatures. And they're like normal everyday temperatures for us now. But that was from the from the 60s. Anyway, I would probably say Marilyn Monroe because my heart breaks for her, such a difficult childhood and so judged on looks and so misunderstood. Um, you know, I was always fascinated by it. She wanted to be taken seriously, Arthur Miller. I think Marilyn Monroe, if, if only to give her a massive hug. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's not related to climate. It's not particularly, she probably wasn't very well traveled. I was always shocked at how badly traveled poor Elvis was, for example, you know. Yeah. Well, missed out on the greatest luxury which is experiencing the world the wider world yeah, and as you say those normal those little interactions in life that stay with you in a nice way she was just captivating and I wonder if today maybe she'd be able to use that we'd all you know be enthralled by her whether she could use her voice for something to do good I don't know Okay, and our final question is one that I actually feel quite bad asking because I think it might be really quite tricky, but do you have a favourite country that you've travelled to? So you're asking me, have I got a favourite country? Um, well, I can certainly tell you, I can t I'm can. i going to have to give you a couple of answers. I'm going to have to tell you who doesn't love the Greeks. So philoxenia, that's the Greek word for hospitality. It's the love of a stranger. Oh. I just, I spoke to my dearest friend just before this call and uh, she is Greek and I just, I love the Greeks, uh, that spirit. Um, a country where I went on holiday, on a cycling holiday, which was a great trip and I really recommend people go to, is Romania and uh, Transylvania. Absolutely beautiful and the food and drink was great. It really, a lot of the things I talked about, you could, you could apply on a trip there. What, what season did you go in? It's quite an extreme <laughs> climate lesson. there. It's quite, it's like, um, you know, it, it's just... It I think I've been, I've been there a couple of times. I went there in winter and I wouldn't recommend that. I went there in summer. I went there in, in probably June, June, July. Fascinating. It was absolutely glorious. And um, before we go as well, we do have one question for you. It might be a little bit difficult, but what's the one thing you wish everybody knew about sustainable climate. So if you had your 15 seconds to say to somebody. Without a doubt, I really wish people would understand the link between educating young girls in remote rural areas and the direct connection to the climate emergency. Um, and just that, you know, I really wish people could, could relate to the fact that gender equality is such a big part of the same conversation and that we really need to support women globally in, in being better empowered to deal with extreme weather coming their way. And that, and all these men are going to be leaving these destinations in search of jobs and money. And it's just going to become more and more extreme. I wish people would just really understand, you know, all 8 billion of us are interconnected and we rely on each other. 
pretty powerful thought. And interestingly, sort of circling, in the, although I've learned, God, I've just learned so much just from listening to you talk, and I can just hear how passionate you are. But in a way, um, we have finished up on a point that I am also really passionate about as well, but we've just come at it from like, you know, different angles. So it's it's been fascinating talking to you. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I, I'm, my head, I'm still trying to get my head around everything that we've actually spoke about in the podcast and you have given me a ton of food for thought. So thank you so much for opening up my little world to how I might travel uh, in the future. Thank you so much. I have so many questions for you. So I'm going to have to try and think of a way to do a podcast interviewing you now. So you can overwhelm me with weather information. (laughs) (laughs) We are always happy. We're always happy (laughs) to chat about the weather. (laughs) If you have enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would subscribe, rate and review and share the podcast with everybody that you know, because they all need to learn these amazing, amazing tips that we've learned today. Um, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, we are for the love of weather. On Twitter, we are the number four love of weather. And Juliet, if people want to follow you, where can they find you? Thank you. I am at Juliet Kinsman, J-U-L-I-E-T-K-I-N-S-M-A-N on all, all the usual places. Thank you. Amazing. And we just hope, as always, that you leave this episode loving the weather just that little bit more. Thanks for listening.